So, third letter of John, here we are, and this is believed to be John's last letter, his last bit of writing. We don't see it in that spot in the Bible, but that's what a lot of scholars believe. And um, so we call these, you know, these first, these letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, it's believed that they're actually written after the book of Revelation, at the end of John's life and ministry as things are winding down. And so if you, if you kind of think about 3 John in the chronological sense, it's, it's the last book of the Bible and it's the shortest letter in the Bible. And it just gets down to some practical application. When John's been talking about love and, and truth and some of the things that we've seen in his first two letters, um, now he gets a little bit practical because we're going to see here he's writing to some individuals and it's, it's, you know, whenever you get a bunch of people together that love Jesus and they gather in a church to worship, naturally, there can be issues. There can be problems. There can be personality stuff. You know, there's different personalities, different strengths and weaknesses in people. People have different relational skills and dynamics and expectations. And you put a group of people together in a church and sometimes, man, there can be a little bit of tension. And we're going to see here that John's going to write to deal with some specific things that are going on um, within, within this church. And we're going to be introduced to three different personalities, two, two that are positively commended and one that's um, exposed as being manipulative and having behavior that's just not in line with a leader within the church. And so, you know, in a, in a church, unity, humility, um, love, the bond of peace are something that we should be fighting for. We want to speak in truth and, and love into things that would break apart those things. And so John does that and he introduces us to three, three characters. The first is a guy by the name of Gaius and he was an encourager. We're going to see what his role was in the body. Then there's another guy who seems to have some issues, some e a bit of an ego trip going on na named... Um, Diotrephes, and then the third was a man by the name of Demetrius, who John's going to call a good example. And so these different personalities, just getting them together. You know, it's Christmas time. It's coming. You get family coming. How many of you guys are sticking around for Christmas? Okay. How many have guests coming to stay with them at Christmas? Uh, how many days? Three days? How many? Who's got guests for three days? Three days? Anybody got guests for like five days? Yeah, over there, seven days. Anybody got guests for seven days? Yes, Suzanne, okay, seven days. Well, you know, that's, that's, that's a long time to have guests. Benjamin Franklin said this, one of his quotes that he's known for, that after three days, fish and guests start to stink. <laughs> that good? It's true, that's pretty good. You know, not a thinly veiled, it's not so thinly veiled way of saying, yeah, you know, I like guests in my house for about three days and then they should move on. That's what Benjamin Franklin would say. And, you know, we've had those guests. I think Lisa and I have been those guests at times. I like regret that one time we went to Winnipeg and we stayed with family and we just crashed in their house for seven days. And I thought, man, what a whirlwind we left behind. Uh, and, and you have those guests that can stay too long. And I'm sure... Mr. Franklin, and I, and I can resonate with this, uh, you, can, you can love your guests. You love it when they come, and then you love it when they go. You know what I'm talking about? 
And so it's interesting here because John, as he, as when he was writing the second letter, remember one of the things that he talked about as he talked to the elect lady and her children? He talked about welcoming people into your home. And he said to, he said to her that, that if anyone comes to you and they do not bring the teaching of the biblical Jesus, fully God and fully man, do not receive them into your house or give them any greeting because whoever greets them or takes part in and what they're doing is participating in their wicked works. Now, he was talking about these itinerant, traveling prophets, teachers, pastors, ministers in that time that were, that were moving about from church to church and just bringing ministry to different communities. And this letter is kind of interesting as we come to the third letter of John now because it, it's quite likely that this is a reference letter from the Apostle John, that he is like giving reference to this fellow that we're going to meet at the end of the letter, a man by the name of Demetrius and his ministry. And it seems that, that, that John is, is writing to deal with a man now who was not allowing people into his home. You know, in contrast to what we saw in the last letter, now it's like you got, you got someone who's being kind of legalistic and, and heavy-handed, and they're not allowing or accepting or receiving any other ministry in their church, not welcoming itinerant prophets or teachers. And in contrast, John is going to tell the man to whom he writes, you got one who's not allowing people into their home, one whom John is giving a reference letter for, it seems, and the, and the one who's the recipient of this letter. And John is going to tell this man, Gaius, that he does the right thing by opening his house, by having a hospitable home, and, and welcoming in this itinerant prophet, preacher, evangelist, whatever he was. And so it seems that there's, um, almost seems to this, that this is a letter of encouragement uh, to receive the ministry of Demetrius, to receive him into your home, to receive him into your church. And so let's check it out. Verse 1 says this. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now remember, John is old, right? He's, he's in his 90s. He's well into his 90s. And when he refers to himself as the elder, it's not just a title. Like, I mean, he's an old man. And he's a leader who's been seasoned with age and grace and experience. He's a man of God. And the first thing that we find out about this man to whom he's writing, Gaius, is that Gaius loved the truth, that Gaius was a man who was sound in doctrine, John says, beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So when we talk about some of the things that we've been seeing in the letters of John, Gaius is one of these individuals who believed in the deity of Jesus. He believed Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed. And he stood for the truth. And four times John is going to call or refer to Gaius as beloved meaning dearly loved, a much-loved man who was popular with the Apostle John. And we're going we're gonna to see that there are different reasons why uh, John loved Gaius. You know, if I was to ask you about someone in your life whom you dearly love, who is beloved to you, why do you love that person? Well, it's not going to be just one answer that you give regarding them. You're going you're gonna to have a list of things. You're going to say, well, I love this about them, and I love this about their personality, and I like this about their character. And you're going to have different reasons for why you love them. The people we dearly love is never just for, for one reason. But John is going to give us a few reasons on guys. And the first one is this. Man, the dude is sound in doctrine. 
That's what John says. I love that about him. And I have to say, I love that too. I love a man who is sound in doctrine, don't you? I love that. That's good character. That's good personality, a pillar. In a wishy-washy, flighty world of relativity, it's like nice to meet people who are sound in doctrine, who love truth. Don't you think? Men and women who love Jesus. Men and husbands and wives who love their spouses and, and have sound doctrine in their home, who love their kids and teach their kids about Jesus, who love their church. You know, who love the people of God. People, men of doctrine, of faith, of grace and truth. That was Gaius. He's like just a faithful, rock-solid man who loved Jesus. Not perfect. Never the sense that he's perfect, but he loved the truth. And so John says this about him, verse 2. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So what we found out about this sound man, this biblically sound man, was that there was, seems to be this hint that he wasn't entirely physically healthy. And John's praying that the Lord will restore his health. And so here you have, it, you have a guy, he's spiritually healthy, but physically not so healthy. And, and I like John's prayer. I think it's a good prayer that we can follow. You know, you can use verse 2. To, you can pray this verse over, over your spouse, over members of your family, over your children. John said, I, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health and that it may be good with your soul. John, what's John praying for? He's praying for spiritual health and physical health. And it's true um, that sometimes a person can be spiritually healthy and not so physically healthy. Like maybe some of you have that going on where you have battles with your physical health. And you know, it's interesting that God sometimes just uses that. God, God uses situations and things that we're going through physically, uh, our brokenness and our pain for people to see Jesus in our lives, you know? Like some people preach sermons and others, other people's lives are sermons by the experience that they go through. So they faithfully cling to Jesus in the midst of whatever's happening and their pain and their loss and, and their brokenness. You know, I remember, I don't know if I've told you guys this before. I'm sure I have, but I remember, I remember years ago when Lisa and I were dating, her dad had cancer. And, uh, and so I dragged him to this name it and claim it preacher on a, on a, to a service so that we could pray, go and pray that he would be healed. And so we went to this church service and hung out there. And then at the end, we went up and we went up for prayer. And they laid hands on him. They, they prayed and said all the Christian East things that, that we say, and like, and nothing happened. And so they laid hands on him again, and they prayed a second time. And then I watched, I watched, it was like the Lord kind of like gave me discernment into what was going on. I was a young, stupid guy. <laughs> now I'm just stupid. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> all of a sudden I felt like I knew exactly what that guy was thinking as he was praying for my future father-in-law. Like he was thinking, the reason why this man is not healed is that he just doesn't have enough faith. He doesn't believe. That's why he's not 
being healed. You know, it's like, oh, he's second rate with regards to his faith and his walk with Jesus. That's why he's sick. And you know, that's heresy. Like, that's false teaching. And there is that kind of teaching that's out there that implies that it's like, oh, you're sick? It's because you lack faith. It's because you don't believe. That is not biblically sound. It's interesting. I mean, we have the Apostle John. Is he biblically sound? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, We have a man to whom he's writing, Gaius. Is he biblically sound? Yeah. John says, I love this man. He's a sound man. He's sound in doctrine. And yet even though he's sound, he's still sick. He's still got a physical infirmity going on. And you know, they're praying for health, but it hasn't happened, but he's walking with Jesus. And this is one of those verses, you know, that, that sometimes name it and claim it kind of preachers, teachers use to teach the principle that it's always God's desire for his people to be healthy and whole and in terms of physical, physical sickness. But we just know that's not, that's not always the reality. And, and that's not what John is saying. What's John saying? What's John saying? He's simply offering a prayer and a greeting of blessing and and a prayer uh, for good health, good physical health and good spiritual health for a brother in the Lord whom he loved. And it's amazing. I mean, like if John can pray for you and you don't get healed, then, you know, maybe the Lord's just at work in the midst of that. And we don't know sometimes. And so what do we do? We follow the biblical example. We pray for healing. We believe in it. We've seen it in this church. We've seen times when God has done healing in lives and in bodies. And there's other times we've prayed and it hasn't happened. But the Lord knows those things. He knows. And so we just, faithful to him, sound in doctrine, pray for healing. Leave it in the hands of the Lord. That's what I believe. And you know, we have to do our part. We gotta, gotta, you know, live smartly in these physical bodies. Eat well, live well, exercise, you know, get good rest, all that kind of stuff. But the scripture says this, physical training, it has, it has some value, but there is a value that lasts both in this life and the life to come, and it's this, that you'd be godly, that you'd be sound in faith. You know what we need to be nourished on is the word of God. When we talk about working out, the scripture says, work out your salvation. Work that out. Flex those muscles. And so here's, here's this man, Gaius. He's sound. He's spiritually healthy. Maybe not so much in his physical body, but it's not stopping him from being used for the kingdom. Verse three. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Isn't that awesome? John's like, this is awesome, man. It's encouraging. You're walking in the truth. I, that just is a source of joy for me. He says to Gaius. You know, I think about John. John must have led tons of people to the Lord. I mean, this long ministry and all the time he spent with Jesus. I, we believe he was, he was young at the time Jesus ascended into heaven. John probably put, pushing 70 years worth of ministry. You gotta wonder how many, ta- how many people he led to Jesus over that time. How many times he, he preached and shared the gospel and and spent time doing evangelism and meeting with people and itinerant ministry, traveling from community to community. And, and we know that he was the pastor. At one point in time, he was the pastor in the city of Ephesus with the church in Ephesus. 
And now he's old. And he's like, man, it's so awesome. Because I have this man that I'm invested in, this son in the faith, and he's walking with Jesus. And, and it's just like, it's the greatest. It's, I have no greater joy, John says. You're walking in the truth. That means you're, you're walking in right doctrine with love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Last week I was, um, or it was the week before, I was in touch with an old friend of mine, just a little bit online, Jordan. Jordan came to our youth group in Surrey, like around 2000, when we were youth pastors there. And uh, he lived on, he lived in this housing project on East Wally Ring Road. And that's a rough area. <laughs> like, that's the area that gives Surrey its reputation, just if you're ever wondering. Twice on a Friday night when I was dropping off kids uh, after youth group, there were shootings in that complex. Okay, so we had, we had like kids coming from this complex to this youth group, and it was so awesome. And it was, it was super cool because I was working part-time in the church, and I had this other job, and I worked right across the street from this complex. So I talked to my boss, and my boss gave me a key to the building because it wasn't being used in the evening. And we did youth discipleship on Wednesday nights on East Wally Ring Road, right across the street. And all these kids were coming to this youth discipleship. And Jordan came and Jordan got saved. And uh, Jordan brought his mom to church and his mom got saved. And uh, we were in contact last week because his mom went home to be with Jesus. Um, and he was just talking about the hope of heaven online. He was online saying, so awesome. I'm going to see my mom again. And the cool thing about Jordan is Jordan's been the youth pastor at our old church for almost 10 years. And uh, I just like, I just think about him. And I know you have people so in your life like this too, but this is why I tell the story. It's like, I think about Jordan and I just have joy. Nothing else has to happen. And it's like, wow, God, that's like so awesome. It's like, so your work. He worked in that young man. He, he went on and got a Bible college degree. He taught at a college level. He's like loving on kids. He's got his own wife and kids now. And it's like, he loves Jesus. And it just brings you joy to think about him. And I know you guys got people like that in your life too. And you, maybe you don't see them much anymore, but they're walking in the truth. And you're like, wow, that just gives me joy. I think of this verse for parents. Because parents who love Jesus want their kids to, to love and know Jesus, don't they? You know, when, when Lisa was pregnant with our kids, we would pray that, our, that this baby unborn in the womb would serve Jesus. And it was like, it felt really risky when we were young, but we'd, I'd lay hands on her belly and we'd pray and we'd say, Jesus, if this baby is not going to grow to serve you, we pray you'd take this child now. We want this baby to serve Jesus. That was our three kids. We want our kids to, to love Jesus and be in eternity with us. And that's why John says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. And you know, young and old in this room, I could ask you, like, do you, are your parents Christians? Are your parents Christians? The greatest joy of a parent who walks with Jesus is to know their kids are walking with Jesus. Is that not true? And what we find out is that Gaius was walking with Jesus and John was just pumped about it. 
It was awesome for him. And this man, Gaius, ha- had the gift of hospitality. He, he regularly hosted and housed and fed and supported these itinerant ministers. And it was a very practical kingdom ministry with which he served the Lord. Check out verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them out on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And so John commands Gaius for this ministry. It's kind of interesting because remember again last week, he, he, he said to the elect lady and her children, don't let deceivers into your house. Now John says in this letter, essentially, you know, like, don't become too skeptical. You know, don't be, don't be a skeptic, that you, such a skeptic that you just shut everyone out. And so now he's calling someone to, to be a host. And this is the days, you know, before Best Western and Motel 6 and the Marriott and some bed bug ridden whatever. <laughs> you know, these traveling ministers came, came through the city and, and Gaius not only housed them and fed them and cared for them, he provided for them financially as they traveled. He provided for them so that they would not have to take anything, John says, from the Gentiles. That, that means from unbelievers. So th- the believers were funding this ministry. And, you know, here's the thing about the first century. That's, this is how it was working. These itinerant ministers were traveling all over, just preaching the gospel, was going out. Um, and, and many of these individuals were going out at great personal cost and, and risk and uh, putting the, themselves in danger and sacrificing for the kingdom and probably not receiving a, a salary. They go out, you know, trusting the Lord and desiring to plant churches and see people come to Jesus. And as they went through communities, churches opened the doors and families took them in and housed them and practiced hospitality with them and provided for them financially. And that was Gaius. And I, I like that it says taking nothing from the Gentiles. Do you know that that's a great, taking nothing from the unsaved. That's a great way of testing the genuineness of a ministry or a person in ministry. You know, are they running a religious racket? Selling stuff on TV and this and that. And, and you know, one of the ways that we can just identify those who are genuine is where they take support from. And, and John says about these guys, they're, they're not fleecing the flock, man. The flock, the flock is providing for them and they're not fleecing unbelievers. That's a good test for ministry. Is a ministry trying to get into the pockets of the unsaved? Man, that's just wrong. We give the unsaved Jesus. And if they're trying to get in pockets, then that should set off alarm bells. So, so Gaius was a faithful man. And that brings us to the next character, Diotrephes. Check out verse 9. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Like, oh, John, once again, just not mincing words. And the first thing I think is like, wow, that's like pretty arrogant. 
He puts himself first. He does not acknowledge John's authority. I'm like, that's crazy. I mean, if you stop and think about it, you're talking about an apostle. One of the 12, the last living member of the disciples who traveled around uh, with Jesus for three years, and you refuse to read a letter to the church that he sent off because you don't acknowledge John's authority. And, and you just got to think, well, if you, can't, if you can't acknowledge the authority of the apostle John, then whose authority will you acknowledge? I mean, this guy was full of pride, putting himself uh, first. And the truth is, Diotrephes didn't want to be under anyone's authority. He had, he had a heart full of pride. But it didn't end there. Look at verse 10. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So this is a little bit unhealthy, don't you think? A little bit. Uh, very opposite of, of Gaius, this guy Diotrephes, he wouldn't, he wouldn't give any help to traveling itinerant preachers. And he would excommunicate from the church Anyone who did or anyone who was connected with the Apostle John. It just sounds so crazy. And I don't know if him and Gaius, I think that they're a part of the same church when you read this. And so you can see that they're on a trajectory for, uh, for a conflict here. And I can only imagine the attitude of, of Diotrephes towards Gaius and the strain that there was in their relationship and the tension that was causing within the church. And so... So here you have this guy, Diotrephes. He, he won't receive the ministry of the Apostle John. Not only that, he's talking wicked nonsense about John. He's telling deceitful things about him. He's, he's rejecting anyone who's associated with John and brings discipline down on anybody that would not follow through his authority. So not very Christ-like, is it? I just thought it was interesting. One of the things that struck me in this text was it said, Gaius is walking in the truth and Diotrephes is talking. One guy's walking, walking the walk, and one guy's just spewing. His mouth's just going. And there's character that's not touching the ground. His feet aren't on the ground. And so you have a prideful man who's being a malicious gossip. He's opposing others in ministry. He's refusing to be hospitable. He's, he's calling some guilty just by their association with, with others. And he wanted to be first. He just power and position got to his head in the church. You know, He just loved the prestige, loved the power, didn't want to host people, wanted to be served all the time, saw himself as too important to to spend time serving others and visitors. and That's this guy. And I'm just reminded what Jesus said. Remember what Jesus said about the greatest? There to be what? A servant. The greatest among you should be a servant. That's the character we're called to. That's the Son of Man came to seek and to serve. And this guy's a real warning to you and I. It's like, wow, where's my heart at? Where's your heart at? We just wanted to put ourselves first and in the forefront, have things, have us just be first and everything serve us or, or, we, or are we gonna serve? 
Are we going to glorify Jesus or are we going to seek to glorify ourselves? And look at what John says in, in verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God and whoever does evil has not seen God. And what John says here as he talks about the character of these men is this, is that your, that your conduct reflects your relationship with the Lord. You want to know how you're doing with the Lord, just look at your conduct. Look at your behavior. Your behavior is the fruit that exposes the root. And, and, and John says this, anyone who's doing good is from God and, and those who do evil, they've got blind spots, man. They are not seeing God. They have not seen God. And, and that to me just suggests that the, that the source of my actions, the source of our attitudes is in our relationship with God. They expose, man. The attitudes of our heart expose what's happening in our walk with Jesus. And so John says this, anyone who does evil has not seen God. Remember a, a verse and all those heavy hitting verses that we saw in 1 John. John said this in 1 John 3, 6. He said, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. You know, it's like one of those verses from John that you can't, you can't water down. You can't just sweep it away under the carpet. You know, John is saying evil never arises unless there's blind spots, unless there's a false perception of who, who God is. Evil comes out of the darkness of human hearts. And out of the bl our blindness towards him. And it's interesting because John is not questioning whether Diotrephes is like called or whether he's a Christian or questioning his salvation. But he is affirming that this guy has character that is pointing to the fact that there are serious blind spots in his walk with the Lord. And so Gaius was to be careful to not participate in what Diotrephes was doing, to, to shun it. And, and uh, John says here, don't, don't imitate his behavior because that behavior reveals spiritual blind spots. You know, this guy's like the, the modern bully in the church, the, the power broker who's running the show, who puts himself first. And so do not imitate him is the warning. And then we're introduced to this third character, Demetrius, verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. And so John vouches for this guy. He says, Demetrius, he's good reputation. He's coming into your town. Within the wider church family, he has a good reputation. I vouch for the man. You know that my testimony is true. I'm telling you, this is is a good man that's coming into your community. And, and so it's a good recommendation that John, that John gives. And, and John just says to Gaius, you can trust this guy. You can trust him when he comes into your community. I, I like that. I like that here we see ministries and other communities and they're saying, hey, this guy's legit. Put him to work. You know, house him. Look after him. Care for him. Unlike Diotrephes, 
his life has character and it supports truth. And so Gaius, don't be intimidated by what you see going on. Choose to support this good godly man. Have him into your home. Look after him. Help him. There's a threat there against you. Maybe you're going to get excommunicated because of guilt by association. I'm telling you, you can look after this guy. Verse 13. Wrap it up pretty quick here. He says, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. We saw John do this in the last letter too. He's like, I still got lots to say about this. And there's some things that are just better to discuss face-to-face, person-to-person. And when I get there, we're going we're to deal with it. And so he, he closes the letter kind of there with this, well, he gives a, a benediction of peace and wishing good upon his brother, completeness. Look at uh, verse 15. Peace to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. It's the family of God. You ever heard that story? I don't know if you've ever heard this story. I'm sure you have. You kick around churches, you hear this story. I can tell it to you. The, the story of a, of a ship's captain whose heart was full of pride. And the ship was cruising along and it saw a light in front and it signaled to that light that was in front of them to the other vessel, and the message was relayed. Uh, please turn 10 degrees to the, to the south. We're approaching you. And a message was relayed back, and it said, uh, actually, you can turn 10 degrees to the north. And so the first messenger uh, was kind of angry, and so he began to assert in his pride his position And he said uh, back, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. This is the captain speaking. And so a message comes back and the message is this. Alter your course 10 degrees to the north. This is the third class seaman speaking. And so immediately the, the captain cranks it up. He's ticked now. And he sends this message to just command all of his authority. He says, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. This is the captain of a battleship speaking. To which the reply came, alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am in a lighthouse. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) I always like that story. And the warning's this, captain... If you remain on the course that you are going, you're going to shipwreck yourself. (laughs) You're going to destroy yourself and your ship and all of those aboard your ship when you crash into that lighthouse. And you know, it's interesting. Here what we have in this letter is John dealing with someone who's really like ramped themselves up in a position of pride within the body of Christ. And it's like, you're on a course to destroy yourselves and to destroy that body by, by your behavior and your action. And I mean, history, we don't know. I don't know what Diotrephes did. We'll, we'll find out, you know, when we get to heaven. When John and him had their face-to-face, how that, that all worked out. But, but he was risking destruction in the pride of his heart and his, his rebellious action 
And he stands, he's an interesting character in scripture because he, he's a person from whom, you know, we should learn from. Learn uh, what not to do from. We're called to live as servants, you know. We're called to be those who show love, who show compassion for one another, who believe unity is important, that the bond of peace is important, that, that, that practice hospitality. And when you set the navigation course of your life, it's when it's directed by your own pride, you're going in a direction that's not going to be good and it's going to end up in your destruction. And so, you know, I think this letter is an interesting letter because it's just simple. It's like a bunch of people and it calls us to serve, uh, to love, to be hospitable. You know, I, I think a, f- a few lessons I'd point out, some just like practical rubber meets the road stuff in this book. It's like, o- open your home to other people when God provides the opportunity for you to do that. You know, be hospitable. You know, one of the things we see about Gaius was that he helped others that were in ministry and were serving the kingdom. You know, if the Lord brings someone across your path and you can support a ministry, support that ministry. You know, it tells us be discerning. You know, discern, discern the integrity of leaders and their leadership. It tells us to be beware of the temptation towards pride that comes from position within the kingdom of God and, and having influence. And, and so there's lots of little practical things like, you know, after three days, fish and guests stink. <laughs> no, that's not in there. But, you know, be, be grateful for the Lord's reward as you help others. That's what I want to tell you. Just help people. Help people. Be kingdom-minded with the things the Lord has given you. Don't let your heart be set full of pride. Serve. It's a call to serve.